Tennessee Titans talk. We haven't been with you in a while, but you know it's for good reason. We had our hearts broke a few months ago, and we're real fans. And boy, guys, uh, I've <laughs> had a hard time having the heart getting back on here. But it's free agent week, and we love this stuff as much as we love the games. And uh, we're back with you. There's just so much to talk about. We've got Landon and Big Fella here. These guys, beyond it just being tough to talk about the Titans the last couple of months, Landon is studying aeronautical engineering at the best university in the world, University of Tennessee, and Big Fella's transitioning to a high-level job at one of our best corporations here in Nashville. Guys, it's great to be back with y'all, and I know we just text constantly with our friends Derry, Jackson, Michael Burgett, get friends of the show. It's time for us to do another podcast. Let's start with this. Landon, compared to what you thought, how you thought the first two and a half days or so of free agency was going to go, how has it gone compared to your expectations? Well, at least as far as the Titans' perspective has gone, it's been everything I thought. I mean, we were going to be pretty cash-strapped, especially when we re-signed Harold Landry, which is really, it was a bit nerve-wracking because we let him walk on the franchise tag, and I thought he was gone. And then a couple hours later, we just gave him a big money deal. Like, it was no, I mean, we don't have that much money. Really, the only thing that's surprising is cutting Julio Jones, which came out a couple hours ago and still has me a, a bit in disbelief because we get we trade a second rounder for him. We legit have literally no one behind him. Nick Westbrook is a special teamer and a run blocking specialist. AJ Brown is really good. After that, there is literally no one on this roster I would trust at receiver. And it has to be his hamstrings have to be cooked. His body just has to be done because they looked at it. We're saving $9.5 million against the cap. It's a June 1st designation. They just look at it and see, we're not going to pay a guy $18, $20 million and hope he's ready come playoff time. And his best possible outcome is he's six catches, 60 yards like he was in the playoffs. $20 million is top-of-the-line money. That is game-changing receiver money. That's Adams, Tyreek Hill, Hopkins when he's healthy. Julio Jones, for us, his best game outside of that Seattle game before his hamstring imploded was a guy i mean you can draft that every year there's rookie receivers that come in and outperform expectations and they can give you that for much much less i mean we can sign two three veteran receivers for what julio was going to cost us at the very least they're going to be on the field all the time big fellow there Mm. are two schools of thought one as landon has very well laid out he just doesn't have it and we're intimately aware of that of how he is physically the second one is we were okay, and I think if we knew we were going to dump him, we would have dumped him last week so he could have entered the free agent market like everybody else. The other side, the other narrative is that something has come up and someone is available we didn't think was going to be available, and we're looking to be really shrewd and pounce on that guy. Which is it, big fella? Well, to be honest, when you put it like that, I think it's both. I really don't know how much Julio has left after what we saw. When he was quote unquote healthy, he didn't he didn't look like the guy I've been watching for the last decade plus in Atlanta, going for nearly two thousand yards in a season before. Like he didn't look like that guy. So to Landon's point, we're not gonna pay I think his cap number for twenty two was twenty two million dollars. You're not gonna pay that for to for you know, somebody you can sign off the street or a rookie you can draft in the fourth round or fifth round. It's not going to happen. Um, and I think just based on the production and where we got to last year, it was pretty obvious that he was a cap casualty. 
I'll be curious to see what we do with that money. There are, you know, I was writing down a list of some guys I'd like us to, to, to sign. And there are quite a few receivers out there. You know, the tight end market is really dried up right now, especially. So that's a little concerning, but there are still guys out there like Will Fuller, Juju Smith-Schuster, Allen Robinson, even Corderell Patterson. You know, we saw him kind of explode last year. So there are definitely options out there. And, you know, we've been texting all, all day and all, all week about guys that, you know, they're kind of overpriced um, and not getting what they thought they would get. You know, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but stupid Jacksonville blew up the wide receiver market with what they did. So either, you know, either we're going to have to overpay for somebody or we're going to get somebody on a bargain. That's what I think. Landon, if getting Landry back, kind of like you said before in the 11th hour, is the biggest news for the Titans in free agency. And obviously the second biggest is us dumping a guy we gave a second round pick for. What's the third biggest move? What's the third biggest thing that's happened for our Titans this week? It would have to be bringing Ben Jones back on a two-year, $14 million deal. I mean, this guy, up until last year when he was starting to get hurt, was consistently the fifth or so best center in the entire NFL. And to get a guy who's near elite as position, I would say he's really good as position now, no longer elite because of age and his injuries last year. To get a really good, dependable lineman who never misses games, never comes off the field for $7 million, when offensive linemen are so hard to find, when our offensive line is going to be so shaken up, it's just a great value. Brian Allen got $8 million a year. Mitch Morris got a bit more. Ben Jones is better than them. I mean, they might be a bit younger, but my perception of Brian Allen might be a bit discolored because I watched our defensive front destroy the Rams' offensive line, but Ben Jones was never that guy. Ben Jones was our best lineman last year. He was never, ever the problem for us. And for $7 million, I mean, that's how that's a shrewd move. He was our best lineman. If you watch the games, if you look at analytics, big fella, what comes after that? What's our what's our biggest move after Ben Jones? I think our biggest move was letting go of um, Jackrabbit. I, I was praying for that to happen. I wish wish we would have done it in season last year. I mean, he was just a liability. So I was really excited to see that. I think that's kind of the thing that we all knew was going to happen. So I'd, I'd I'd put that as our next biggest move because it needed to happen. Yeah, saving six million for a guy that he had his he had a couple games where it was yeah I can see that but I mean end of the year especially in that playoff game mm-hmm. he was the reason why well, it was not the reason we lost but when the defense broke down he was that guy and for six million when we drafted Farley to be developed when we saw Buster Screen and even Greg Maven come off the street and be good enough it's it's like with the it's like a lesser extent of what happened with Julio right we've seen that. Having depth and having dependability and having more guys versus a guy who's okay is what you want, especially on a defense with an elite pass rush, an elite defensive front, a really good linebacking core, a top two safety duo in the NFL. I mean, whoever our second outside corner is, he's not being asked to play on an island 24-7. So, Landon, we know kind of our top few things for most of our fans. We re-signed Landry. We dumped Julio. Kind of a surprise. It makes sense after the fact with the amount of money we save. The Jackrabbit thing, I think most of our fans could see coming. A very material thing nonetheless. From this point on, I mean, what do you want? We know what our expectations were. We know what they've done. What do you want to see from here? I'd like to see just a volume of receiver signings. I mean, we talked about this in text, but if you're 
a receiver in this market and you're not getting the offers you want, why won't you just take a one-year deal and go to Tennessee? I mean, there is A.J. Brown and literally no one stopping you from being the wide receiver too. And yes, this past season, our passing game was pretty atrocious. But you look at pretty much the two years before that with Tannehill. We were one of the five best offenses. We were super explosive. If you're not getting the money you want, why won't you just come here? I mean, there's nothing stopping you from getting a 1,000 snaps at receiver, getting 100 targets in an offense that should be better. I mean, like, I really think we're getting Juju Smith-Schuster, who hasn't had the market he's expecting. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster is good. I mean, he's not that number one guy, but when we saw him next to Antonio Brown, he was a really good number two. I don't see why he can't be a solid number two for us, and he's not going to be that expensive. I just want to see... My biggest gripe with our receiver room last year was we had no one, and they and our backups weren't athletic. Like Chester Rogers looks like a guy off the street trying to play receiver. Nick Westbrook is a special teamer. Cam Batson is tiny. Other teams have cool, interesting athletes at receiver. We had nobody. Your bargain basement signings draft a guy who's really fast or really tall or he does something cool. Don't just draft a guy who's blend. Like, oh, this guy, he's a wide receiver five. We're, we're going to take him because we got nobody. <laughs> Big fella, he touches on what I think is our next step, Juju. Now, I don't want Juju at an overpaid price, but I I think he's a really good fit for us. For you, what's our logical next step? What has disappointed you to this point, and how do we proceed? Yeah, I think, um, like both of you, I, I agree that wide receiver has to be our next step, and I very much would like Juju Smith-Schuster. I, heck, I wanted us to draft him when uh, uh, when we drafted Dory Jackson. I wanted him. I wanted us to take both those USC kids, um, and I I still stand by that decision and that we should have done that. So I, I definitely want to see that. I, I I I like you. I don't want us to pay like ten million for him or whatever it might. You know, he might have wanted to have, have gotten. Um, so I want to see us get a guy like Juju. And like Landon said, I want to fill that wide receiver room. Like maybe Will Fuller on a, on a deal or a prove-it deal or, or Corderell Patterson, a kind of, you know, jackknife do-it-all kind of guy. Bring him back home to Tennessee. I think that'd be interesting to pair with Juju. So then we have some athletes and we have some really um, – you have, we have some firepower to kind of – partner with Derrick Henry. Um, some things I don't really like that we've done or that we haven't done. I think once again, we're letting this tight end class just slip through our fingers. Uh, we handed three and a half million dollars to Jeff Swaim. Same time. We let Deontay Foreman walk out and go to Carolina for 2 million. Like, I don't understand the trade off there. I would very much rather pay Foreman, Three million or whatever, whatever you want to do, and let Swain walk. I, I wasn't, I haven't ever been impressed with him. Sure, he moves the chains a couple times, but he's not that top tier tight end that we need through no fault of our own because all these guys are pretty much tagged or signed before. Um, but all of the other tight end options are kind of gone, and the only one really remaining is Gronk. The expectation is now that Tom Brady is back, he's going to go yeah. to Tampa. I think Gronk is waiting to see if uh, Brady finds a way to get himself to San Francisco to go with him. Otherwise, midsummer he's just going to re-sign with Tampa Bay. My thoughts only. Landon, big fella, as always, makes a great point about, you know, our tight ends. And why don't we just get a guy? Why don't we just draft a guy? Why don't we just pay big money for a guy? If you look at our best tight ends, Frank Wycheck, 20 years ago, 
we got him off the scrap heap from the Washington blah, blah, blahs. And when you look at Delaney Walker, he was he was an afterthought in San Francisco. Who's the guy, Landon, and you're the person, not just in this podcast, you're the person that can know, who's the guy we could get off another team that could really grow into an all-pro, Pro Bowl-type tight end? Because I think it's great to draft a guy like we did and develop him, but what about a guy that we can get sort of at that midpoint? They can just immediately be really good for us. Is there a guy still out there? Well, at this point, really, the only dynamic tight end left on the board is Gerald Everett, who was a former second-round pick of the Rams. He had a career year in Seattle, though. His numbers were still low, but, I mean, you look at the rest of this market. Austin Hooper got his bag, and then he was very, very underwhelming. He is not explosive at all compared to Everett. Outside of that is just a bunch of backups, I mean, the Jets signed two tight ends before we signed one. I mean, we signed we signed Swain, but how can you not just bump up your money a little and get Uzama or Tyler Conklin? I mean, I would rather have Uzama or Conklin and some rookie tight end than Swain and Everett. But Everett, at least, is a dynamic tight end as a receiver, and he's okay enough as a blocker to wear. Ferkser is pretty much a slot receiver. He lines up at slot receiver more than anything else. He doesn't block when he's on the field. We're almost always passing. We need a guy that... Not even as great at both. They're great at one. Just when Ferkser's on the field, we're passing. When Pruitt was on the field, we were probably running, and we'd slip him out a couple times. I mean, Everett is really the only guy I can think of. I mean, at this point, there's so few tight ends, he's probably going to get overpaid by some other team, and we're going to have to draft, I don't know, like Kate Auden in the third or something. We'll have to draft mm. and develop a new guy. And rookie tight ends, unless they're no. generational talents like Kyle Pitts, Never. aren't factors they're developed. They're better in year three, year four, five, six. Jeffrey Swim a little higher on than maybe mostly, maybe than you two are. And I get your point perfectly, big fella, on Foreman because he, in the last month of our season, was shot out of a cannon. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to retain him, and it seems like, obviously, with the money he got, we could have. But I think we might have offered him that same contract, but I think he wanted a bigger opportunity. He didn't want to play behind a guy who's, except for last year, always been healthy and is the best running back in the last 15 years. Because I think we tried to get him back. And I think, Sw- I, I I guess what I'm saying is I don't know if we can go apples to apples on Swain and Foreman and the money. Uh, Landon could probably speak to that. I think we've devalued the tight end position. I think we felt like we can develop guys i think we want a good blocker there but i would love to see us spend some draft capital for the first time in a long while but as landa points out there's not a lot of guys left in the free agent market uh big fella what what's your best possible scenario for that position moving forward tight end oh i was hoping uh, that you know we would take a final flyer on Max Williams, but he just re-signed today with Arizona. I've some I've seen some people float out Hayden Hurst. Blah. I don't know. I mean, it, even just thinking about it in my head, like maybe Jimmy Graham. I mean, he's a billion years old, and you know me. I kind of like the I like the names of guys. So Jimmy Graham is a thought to me. Obviously, Cleveland tagged Najoku. Maybe we can work out some sort of deal to get him in a trade because he's been floated around as a trade candidate for the last couple years. Outside of that, I really don't know. and I, I don't want to try the Anthony Ferkser experiment again. I, I just don't want to. He, he disappeared 
all of last year for whatever, for, you know, I mean, there are a hundred reasons why it happened. I just don't want to do it again. Landon, I think we're in a championship window. And although there have been tight ends that have helped teams win championships, I don't think they're win or loss on tight end. So, I mean, is, is this something you think we have to address? Or um, are you okay with Ferkser and Swain? Because obviously the team is. How about we just figure out an extra tackle and we don't even worry about the tight end position? Sometimes I wonder if we shouldn't just re-sign Dennis Gallick for $2.5 million and just let him be tackle eligible and just like roll downhill, right, Landon? <laughs> I think we will address it in some way. I mean, every single tight end that's halfway confident can go off the market all at once before we can pay him, right? I mean, I mean the rookie tight ends, I haven't looked a time to him, but there's some guys in the third, fourth round. We got a comp fourth from last year or so. We have a, I mean, we have a comp fourth this coming draft, so that'll be nice if we want to take a tight end. So, I mean, there's guys potential, potential but it's like, t- like you said, tight end, it doesn't push you over the top necessarily, but when it's as bad as we were last year, it can definitely hamper you and put a very hard ceiling on your offense. I mean, look at our offense last year, putting aside the fact that we had no receivers and all our injuries, when you ha- when your tight end is essentially doing nothing like He's kind of blocking, or he's kind of receiving, but he's not a factor at all unless the defense just forgets about him. You're almost playing 10 on 11, essentially, because when we had Johnny and Delaney Walker, those guys affected the game. Swain and Ferkser don't affect the game. They just exploit the defense messing up. They don't create advantages. I mean, I hope we sign Everett and draft some one of these tight ends that can block decently and has some athletic potential, but our offense, I mean, even in Johnny's best year, he was really just a resident weapon. I mean, he had 500 yards in his really good year for us. As it stands out with all the movies made, how much cap room do we have right now, Landon? So right now, I think this is before the Jenkins and Julio Jones cap hits are being taken off our books, but we're pretty much broke outside of paying for our rookie class. I mean, we have about a million. Jenkins adds seven. Jenkins brings us up to seven. Julio brings us up to 16. There's always a lot of ways where we can restructure guys and kick the can down the road a little and create a lot more money and we do have one more major piece as far as major money opening which is either forcing Zach Cunningham to take a pay cut or cutting him outright to save 10 million but ideally we don't do that because then we only have two linebackers on our roster period unless we re-sign Jayon for like a minimum and you're just opening up a whole nother can of worms so I I know J-Rob will do some cap shenaniganery We'll, we'll sign a couple receivers. We'll bring in some veteran depth. It's not as bad as it looks on paper, but don't go out there expecting us to be players for anyone that has like a bigger market, like a an exciting fridge. And we're not going to make any sexy moves. We're just going to run it back, fill out some depth at, at positions where we were really lacking last year, and hopefully have a good draft. Let's say we have 13 to 15 million. We can make a big splash for Juju. Otherwise, we're just going to be proactive in the market. What do you want to see us do from here on out? And in the draft, in the first and third rounds, what positions do you want to see us go for? From here on out, I think, you know, we've talked about solidifying wide receiver position that has to happen. Tight end position, whatever we can figure out. I want us to, if there's going to be value left, like if we somehow manage to get a guy like Gronk, I don't think it's going to ever happen. But if we somehow could do that, that would be amazing. Um, Outside of that, I, I expect us to add a veteran corner 
just because, you know, our, our three corners right now are Farley, Fulton, and Molden. And there's nothing wrong with that, except they're all very young. We still don't know what we have in Farley. So I really expect us to guy, to sign a guy like if Lattimore uh, slips down and, and, you know, has a hard time trying to find a deal or Patrick Peterson or, or some veteran corner that's out there. I, I think that's somewhere we need to go. Maybe Russell Douglas, Casey Hayward. I don't know. I just need a veteran corner to kind of hold up that room better than Janoris Jenkins ever did. Um, so those are my kind of priorities here. I think edge rusher, we we brought back Landry. We've got Bud Dupree. I, I like those moves. We obviously have to figure out some linebacker positions because losing Evans, losing Jayon Brown, those are some big needs. So that's something I'd want to hit in the draft and then maybe supplement after the draft with whatever remaining free agents there are. But really, my biggest priority in, in the draft is going to be interior offensive line. We need to figure out that left guard spot, and if it's if it's Dylan Radins, then we need to figure out that right tackle spot still. So I definitely want to hit those positions in the draft with our early picks. Maybe receiver if we don't end up getting Juju or we get somebody who's you know, that next tier that is a stopgap. So I, I think that's kind of where I'm thinking. For me, Landon, the ideal end of this offseason is we get Juju. Who I, I like his durability moving forward. I like his fit with us. If not him, Casey Hayward, as Big Fellows mentioned, I'd love to get a good veteran on the cheap. Um, maybe we'll get him for $5 million, a bit of a hometown discount. Something like that. Casey Hayward's 33. Still play. Obviously, he can still play. He would be the ideal fit. Do a little magic there. Moving forward. Burks from Arkansas. I don't think he's going to be there. We pray for him to be there. Like I prayed for A.J. Brown to be there at 51 three years ago. If not, the biggest, ugliest offensive lineman <laughs> that can eventually play right tackle. So, Raddins, all he has to worry about is playing guard, right? I mean, that's my dream rest of this offseason. Landon, what's yours? Well, I think with Raddins, I actually think he's going to be a right tackle next season because his one game he actually played, he played left tackle. He was all right against the 49ers. And I don't think he's got the strength to play guard in this league. I mean, yeah, his yeah, he was pretty good in a pinch against the 49ers. And I think the ideal was him to be at right tackle because he's more athletic than strong. That's a good point. But he's not that big, right? I don't think he's that big. He's like he's like six five, but he's, he could be that big. He's low three hundreds. Like I think he was three oh five ish at the combat. I'm sure he can put on like ten ten pounds at the NFL level, but he's yeah, always going to be a lighter tackle. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Which is why I don't think he's a guard because a guard really needs to be three twenty at least, especially for a guy that isn't just naturally strong like. Well, yeah, but if you have like a if you have a pulling guard, you know, you those those guys can afford to be a little bit lighter. Yeah, but I, I don't think Raddins just has that natural strength at the end of the day. Yeah, he'd be kind of a lean and mean tackle. Honestly, I told y'all when we had drafted him, I I think they saw him as an eventual replacement for Lawan because ideally he'd be a better left tackle because he's more athletic and more finesse than he is a mauler. He's gonna have to gain a lot of weight. My guess is they just have him pounding the weights and pounding whatever uh, if he's ever going to play right tackle, ideally. And we saw him 
be a pinch hitter at left tackle and do actually pretty well. So it's really hard to project him in the future. So I think then the hole becomes left guard. Washington released Eric Flowers because they're really dumb and they thought they should trade for Carson Wentz instead of just keep working on their rebuild. So they traded for Wentz, so they cut a, like a league average guard along with some other players. I would like Ioannidis, but I think he's going to get paid too much and we have such mm. a deep defensive line already. So I think Juju and Eric Flowers are the two guys on my wish list for agency-wise. Morgan Moses was on that list. I just want to bring this up. How the heck did Morgan Moses get three years, 15 million? This guy has started 16 games for seven straight seasons. He is a bang average right tackle. Those don't grow on trees. I mean, yes, he bounces around, but he's a solid tackle. He's making 5 million. And of course the Ravens get him. I mean, like, did we not offer him 5 million? Did we want to cope with us for him going for so little to, to our rival by saying they trust in Raddins to be the right tackle. So we didn't even go after him by I mean. Morgan Moses got $5 million a year. I think Eric Flowers will get around that. So if we got Flowers, we definitely get receiving the first. Otherwise, I think no matter what, we'll go receiver in the first unless we hit some major steals in free agency, even more so than just Juju. I mean, worst case scenario, Jahan Dotson at 26. I've watched more of him. He's a little small, but, I mean, he's just such natural. He's a baller, I mean. I would, I would like him there, and then we just draft a guard round three like we did with Nate Davis. I mean, there's always an athletic, tough, nasty dude who came from a smaller school you can get in the third, third, fourth round. I mean, end of the day, we lost last year because, well, one, Tannehill just Let's not go there. And two, <laughs> we didn't have the weapons. Yes, you can find receivers late in the draft, but more and more, especially recently, you look at all these receivers coming in, making an immediate impact, and Dodson or Olave or Burks aren't on the level of some of these superstar rookies, but the guys that have first-round pedigree and are hyped up and have that athletic profile, they're really good year one. We saw it with A.J. Brown, like Jahan Dodson. He could be an 800-yard receiver right out the gate, and he'd be really good. He could develop into more than that. I mean, there's the receivers coming in are so good. It's such a big need, and part of me is just... It's such a fun position to scout and watch and get excited about that I really just want us to take a receiver. So I think we'll go receiver. We'll go with guard in the third round because I think Ryan's is right tackle. Then with the two force, we'll go tight end and then just BPA. So we'll just try and round out the roster because we'll address receiver. And then after that, it's just building up death. We'll find some steals. I mean, I think Rashad Weaver last year, if he doesn't break his leg, he'll prove it this year. He was a steal in the fourth round. J-Rob is money. In day three, so I trust him to find some guys this year. Uh, big fella, we have seen so many good receivers in the league in the last two or three years. Uh. It, it to Landon's point, it makes us kind of wish we'd just like find a guy, right? Not necessarily uh, yeah. at twenty six, just like because obviously if Burks from Arkansas is there, please, but he's not going to be. Well, I mean, look uh, at all I the mean, guys. We need to do our due diligence yeah. and find a guy because yes, if we roll in with what we have at receiver. Right now, it's not going to be enough after cutting Julio Jones. But maybe we could find a really good sort of veteran free agent, make something work. It did not work with Reynolds, but I liked the logic. Or maybe we could find a guy like we found, a guy at 51. Unfortunately, we're not going to have pick 51 because yeah. we blew it for Julio. But I think right. this point is solid. There's a bunch of guys that are ready to go 
because of the way college football is played now to enter the league. We've shown the propensity to find a, a really good ready-to-play player. Is that what you want to see? Do you want us to see sort of take that chance at receiver and hit other places? Or in a way, I think we have enough credibility. I'm kind of excited to see kind of what chances they take. Yeah, I would love it. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, 51. So that <laughs> probably may be the best wide receiver draft class ever of 2019. You look at all the guys taken in the second round, you've got DK Metcalf, you've got AJ Brown, Terry McLaurin, Deontay Johnson, Debo Samuel. I mean, those guys enough or, you know, it's enough to make you sick over it. Uh, and, you know, it's just so crazy. Then not even to mention the Justin Jefferson that we, you know, what we saw him do and Jamar Chase. It's just like these guys are coming out and dudes are dudes and Jalen Waddle And I mean, you can go on. I feel like you can go on forever. We've got to find them. And not all of them are first rounders, like you said. So I, I, I don't know how we I don't think I don't think us getting into the second round this year. They're there. Big fellow's right. Landon, best front offices see the changes of talent. In, in sort of a rhythm. It used to be you could find a big nasty guard anywhere in the Big Ten or SEC. I, I think you've got to – if you like your guy, you got to take him. Where it used to be if you found a receiver that had the traits, you had to take him. It's the other way around now, right? Like you see guards and sitters going in the back half of the first round, and now you see really good receivers going in the second and third round. And it's just the teams that do well with it, they understand the commodities. They understand like – what's available in the depth. What are we going uh, to have the patience to wait for uh, when the draft comes in just about six weeks? I think we'll have the patience to wait for a tight end because this tight end class isn't that good. I mean, last year wasn't that great either, but Kyle Pitts really boosted the stock. But this year, Trey McBride, if we hadn't traded our seconds, which really hurts, I think McBride would have been there in the second. He would have been awesome. But... We can't get him, but there's some guys, for, I think like Kate Otten from Washington, Austin Allen from Nebraska, who's like 6'8", who's going to go on day three. Guys with intrigue, it's like either, like Kate Otten's a really good blocker, Austin Allen is huge, it's like, Swaim is like, bleh, he's a tight end, it's like, yeah, my tight end is 6'4", 250, he runs a 4'8", he blocks okay, it's like, there's nothing cool about that, there's nothing interesting or dynamic about him. Like, if my tight end is 6'8", or he blocks, like, an extra lineman, that's something. That has value. And we've seen that with the one other tight end J-Rob has drafted. J-Rob's only drafted one tight end in his entire history, and it was Johnny Smith. Small, athletic, tough, like a Delaney Walker clone. You can find these guys. I mean, Jelani Woods from Virginia is another undersized guy. He's not a blocker like Johnny, but, I mean, he's essentially like a jumbo receiver out there. I mean, he's a guy just... Get some athleticism. Get some potential out there. So, big fella, outside of our team, I mean, what has really surprised you? I mean, anytime, and I guess it's the question is, is Russell Wilson still in his prime? Anytime, I don't know that in our life ever, a guy who's quote-unquote in his prime has been traded because Peyton Manning had two neck surgeries before he was traded. I mean, uh, Jay Cutler obviously is – kind of a head case like it's kind of unprecedented and we have 75 years of history here like player that good has not been traded russell wilson uh, they get pretty good value but i guess the question is is a 5 11 quarterback gonna have another five good years 
and he showed in the last two years he's not run that much. Like, is that the big story of this offseason? Uh, for you, what I mean, what is kind of dominated like? What's been most surprising to you outside of uh, Nashville? Obviously, that is a big one. Like you said, we don't see trades like that happen anymore. I'm surprised that the Packers ponied up as much money as they did for Aaron Rodgers. Now, whether you want to, you know, believe the hype that he was going to be in Green Bay anyway, or if he was really that close to leaving, that was another situation that we've never really seen like that before, where you've got back-to-back MVPs and, you know, he it really is threatening to either retire or play for another team. So they come in and give him $200 million. I think that's pretty crazy. Um, and then they've tagged Devontae Adams, and now he's saying he won't play under the tag. So, of course, even you get your $200 million quarterback, but you know your league's best receiver claims he's not going to play. Again, I will wait and see how this kind of plays out in the season, but I think that was an interesting storyline. Obviously, Brady retiring and unretiring and you know all the speculation around that whole situation was crazy um but i just want to hit on free agency so obviously those things are big and they kind of play a big role into all of it because that's when trades can happen but like there are some signings out there and some trades that i just you know can't understand or like maybe not even can't understand but just that make some teams scary like, I'm looking at the Buffalo Bills. I was telling Landon earlier. They signed Daquan Jones, which we all, we specifically know how good Daquan Jones can be. And then you add him to a defense that already has, um, you know, Boogie Basham, AJ Epinesa, Ed, Ed Oliver, Greg Rousseau. And then on top of that, you sign Von Miller to a six-year, $120 million contract with 51 guaranteed. They're, they're loading for bear. <laughs> And, you know, they signed Saffold to a one-year deal. They extended uh, Mitch Morris. They signed O.J. Howard. Like, they're they're getting ready for something. So that that's really big to me. And another thing that I just still cannot understand is how the Buccaneers were able to get Shaq Mason in a trade for a just a fifth-round pick. Like, it, I, I, I don't understand that. I mean... Maybe Belichick wanted to, you know, make sure old man Brady was protected, but... It honestly feels like collusion. Like, if I were the league front front office, even though they would never, ever actually investigate, that would just be throwing up so many red red flags. I mean, he's making... He's... uh, I think his last two years, he makes seven and nine million. He's a really good... He's a really good guard. He's not that... He's not that old. He stayed healthy. You're getting a fifth from is like, did you even call anyone else? Yeah. Offensive linemen are hard to find. He's really good. He's like a Pro Bowl level guard. He's making seven million this year. It's not. A, I don't think it's a coincidence that the team that traded for him is the team that has Belichick's old buddy there. I mean, we were talking about this earlier. I mean, if we if we had traded a fifth for Shaq Mason, that would be highway robbery, even with how stressed our cap was. The Bucks are just kicking the whole can down the road. Like they're paying everyone. They're bringing everyone back this year. And they still could afford Shaq Mason. It's honestly collusion, and I don't exactly care. I mean, whatever, it's going to happen anyway. And Brady on retiring was so weird because for so long he was like the bogeyman of the NFL for me. It was like he was the evil empire. When I saw the news, like, I got really hyped. Like, I was excited that Tom Brady was back, and it felt really weird. And not just because he's no longer a patriot, but it's just like, 
as soon as it happened, it was like, yeah, there's no way he actually would have gone out losing on a busted coverage in a last second field goal. I just want to touch on the Colts for one second, just because the caricature of what they of what <laughs> they've been these past couple of years. Through no fault of their own. Andrew you can Luck, talk about the Colts as long as you want, as long as you make fun of them. I will. So through no fault of their own, Andrew Luck retires. Well, no fault of the current regime. So they, Oh, it's all their fault. Well, no, they let that man get beaten. No, it was it wasn't Ballard's fault. Like Luck was already broken and Ballard tried to Ballard did a good job of helping them, but Luck was just done by them. So it wasn't Ballard's fault or the current coaching staff's fault. But so you get a you get a free year off from any any criticism because you lost your quarterback a week before the season started. They finished 14th, which is fine. They traded for DeForest Buckner, who's a top three defensive tackle. They signed Philip Rivers, super old Philip Rivers with no arm for one year, and he takes them to the seventh seed. Then he retires because Philip Rivers is really old. Then they trade for Carson Wentz, who looks like he didn't know he ha- he didn't know he was a quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> he looks completely lost. And behind, a, uh, was the best offensive line anymore? It was still an all right offensive line, a great running game. They gave Carson Wentz no receivers. Michael Pittman is solid. T. Y. Hilton is old and hurt. Everyone else is scrubs. They have no tight ends. And guess what? Carson Wentz. When all you had to do was be at Little League Jacksonville to go to the playoffs, Carson Wentz choked. So then you trade him because he's making a ton of money. And all your cap space, oh, by the way, you still have like $70 million in cap before touching Wentz or getting rid of Wentz. So you trade him for two-thirds, which is fine. You got value for him. Oh, wait, no, you didn't because you traded a first-rounder for Carson Wentz, who was almost like an inside agent because he played good enough or long enough that you gave up your pick but then you lost the pick and you missed the playoffs in embarrassing fashion. You were the biggest laughing stock in the entire NFL season. And guess what? For the past four years, Chris Ballard had an amazing draft. You drafted two all pros, two guys that were arguably the best at their position and a really good right tackle and some offensive role players. You have them on rookie deals. You have a ton of cap space. You had no quarterback because Andrew Luck retired. And what do you do with it? You, Trade for DeForest Buckner, who's been really good. He wasn't the problem. And your next biggest offseason acquisition is old Justin Houston. You had T.Y. Hilton and nobody at receiver. And your best receiver signing is uh, Quentin Nelson got paid. Braden Smith got paid. Darius Leonard got paid. You still have $60 million in cap. What have they done right now? They've brought back their tight end to Mo Alley-Cox. Awesome. Here's what you don't have. You don't have a quarterback. You don't have a left tackle. You don't have a right guard. You have an edge rusher now because you traded for Ngakwe, so you have one edge rusher. Good for you. You have no outside cornerbacks. You have literally no receivers outside of Michael Pittman. Their receiver room is worse than ours, even with how many injuries we had. You had a great draft. You had all this cap room. You had this genius GM, and all you have for it is... You're stuck in mediocrity, and now you've got nowhere to go because you've got no quarterback. Anyone you can get, you're paying $25 million for right out the gate, and they're not going to be that good. That quarterback has no weapons to play good with. That offensive line is aging. Your defense relies on turnovers and isn't getting any better, and you have all this cap space, and here's all these players that could help you and would help you in, in the past, maybe not this year, 
There have been legit superstars on the market at positions you need at blue chip premium positions, and you have repeatedly signed depth fringe starters, and you have been stuck in mediocrity. And I would I would just like to laugh at you because for 25 years you were blessed with generational quarterback play because you got lucky and sucked at the right time, and now you had an amazing draft and this is what you get. You are stuck in mediocrity. You are stuck in perhaps the worst division in the NFL. And you don't, you cannot even sniff the playoffs. Your one hope for this next season is that Jonathan Taylor is really fun, and that's it. You're gonna, ha- you're hoping that your running back has a good fantasy season because because Jimmy G or Baker Mayfield or Jameis Winston aren't the answer. You don't have the answer. You can't even draft the answer. You don't have a first round pick. You have nothing. You are stuck with nowhere to go. You have no assets. You have no stars outside of non premium positions like defensive tackle guard, linebacker, and running back. You have this money, which you'll never spend because you have to eventually extend players rather than pay for star talent now. So, congrats, Indy. You're only safe from being the biggest joke in this division because the Jacksonville Jaguars exist. I hope they don't, but surely Indy has a plan, right? It'd be funny if they didn't, but when I when I saw that once trade, I thought Jimmy G. But it, it brings up my next question. Landon, Wentz, is that the stupidest thing you've seen in the last Ooh. week? Give me your superlative. What, what's the absolute most head-scratchiest move you've seen? It's either Wentz or the Christian Kirk contract. <laughs> and I would love to do a segment roasting the Jags, but the Jags have been such a joke. This is our podcast, baby. We can do it right now. Well, the thing is, compared to Indy, which I love – which I love doing. Jacksonville doesn't have a history of be- beating us up and being annoying, so it feels catharsic to uh, roast them. And they didn't have any hope going forward. They had Saxonville, which was the biggest, most obvious one-year fluke in NFL history. And it just feels like it's punching down. Like They've had one good year in 15 years. It just feels kind of cruel. It's like punching down on a Pistons fan since they won the title. It's like... Yeah, they're bad. We know it's not that. It doesn't feel like it, but it's either Wentz or Christian Kirk. Wentz because, one, Washington didn't have a bajillion dollars of cap room like Indy did. When Indy did it, even though they gave up too, a too high a price, they absorbed him no problem because they had a ton of money. Washington doesn't have that money. They cut Eric Flowers, a solid left guard. They cut Ioannidis, a good defensive tackle. You cut two decent stars to afford... Carson Wentz. You traded your third rounder this year. You probably trade your second rounder next year. And if you didn't trade your second rounder next year and it's only a third, that's because Wentz either got hurt or he sucks so bad you stopped playing him. So you've destroyed your cap space. You've given up two decent assets for a team that was in the middle of a rebuild. You've hampered the biggest strength on your team, which is the defensive line, for a guy who, in a much, much better spot last year, was like the 20th guy at absolute best, and when he was asked to do literally anything down the stretch to get them into playoffs, he absolutely crumbled. Washington has gone from a dumb team to a wildly dumb team. I don't agree with anything they've done, and I don't know that there's there's 32 teams in this league. Every move they make, 28 teams would not do. He mentioned Jacksonville. We could do a whole podcast on how they have spent the most money by far on mostly players that are 
hopefully average. Zay Jones is a fringe <laughs> NFL player, for instance. So just follow up on Landon's excellent points. Like the dumb get dumber, right? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think even when you uh, talking about Washington, I mean, you know, you go from a team without a name last year to the Washington Commanders. I mean, we, uh, I, I, my my six year old daughter could have come up with. 30 different different names for the Washington football team that would have been better than the commanders. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a joke. I know Redskins fans who have, you know, stuck with them through thick and thin and they're just like, uh, yeah, uh, this might be the year to just, uh, get out of Dodge. They are just dumb and the moves they make are dumb. And I was really hopeful because I like Ron Rivera. And I was thinking that he would go in there, he would clean things up, he would turn the team around, they would get back to winning ways, and, you know, whether he doesn't have the the support of ownership to do it, or whether he's just kind of, you know, maybe maybe the job was too messy or too big for him. Um, You know, it hasn't happened, and they haven't had the players, and the Wentz deal is just so dumb, I can't even think about it. They Landon, literally big fella's gave right. Up. Um, Ron Rivera is just one man, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it doesn't matter that we like Ron Rivera. It's like they are the new absolute stupidest team in this league. Obviously, them in Jacksonville. I mean, they're in their own tier right now, right? Yeah, I would agree. I think with Washington, it's karma for just everything Snyder and that front office has done that isn't related to the, to the crime against humanity that they call – but, I mean, I, I didn't fact check this, so it's hard to tell if I wouldn't disagree with it. So, I think it was since 2010, 2012 or whatever, the Jags have spent in combined contracts. Now, this is the total amount, not guaranteed. $1.2 billion <laughs> in free agency. And they have had one good season in that time. And that season came off of when they... Now, the thing is, that 2017 season, Saxonville... That team had actual talent. They had a young budding star in Jalen Ramsey. They had Allen Robinson. Their offensive line was decent. Blake Bortles switched between a meme and halfway decent. And then that defense, they had Ngakwe in a rookie deal. They signed Malik Jackson the year before. They signed Clayus Campbell, who was Pro Bowl caliber. AJ Boye, Pro Bowl caliber. Two above-average safeties. They were signing good players. Now, they signed Scherf. Scherf was a really good deal, especially for Trevor Lawrence. He gets a little banged up, I mean. Best guard in the market. Top five guard. That was a good move. Aluakon is making 15 a year. Aluakon is alright. Like, he's not bad, but it's like, yeah, he had 192 tackles last year, but no one looked at the Falcons and was like, man, Foye Aluakon, such a hidden gem. The Falcons really wasted him. And they had to cut Miles Jack to pay for him. Miles Jack had a down year, but he just signed two years, fifteen million with Pittsburgh. He's still a good player. They're just they see a shiny new toy, and they buy it. Except these toys aren't that shiny. In 2017, those toys were Pro Bowlers. This year, it's like outside of sure if it's like, hey, this guy had nice counting stats. Or in Christian Kirk's case, I I have no idea what they saw in Christian Kirk. I mean, this guy has been a career wide receiver three in one of the most pass-happy offenses in the NFL with a pretty good quarterback and offensive coordinator. Super old, washed-up A.J. Green was as good as Christian Kirk last year. 
Christian Kirk, you think he's good because you caught him at the right time during fantasy football when Hopkins was out and they played really bad defenses and he had some good counting stats. When it comes down to it, Christian Kirk is not that guy. He is at most a $10 million guy and I would feel kind of uneasy about paying him $10 million. You're paying him 18. He is now that Julio got cut, he his average per year is second among all receivers. This guy, his career year in receiving yards is 800. This isn't a guy that has shown superstar potential. This is a guy you could find a straight. You could draft a guy. You have a bajillion yeah. picks. I mean, they're receiving core, their contracts total, I think, like a hundred million. They're paying a hundred million for Zay Jones, Christian Kirk. Marvin Jones Jr. and Evan Ingram. I mean, that's like that's a bottom third receiving core, and it's probably and one they of the paid eight most million expensive. Dollars for that's <laughs> the idea, big fella. And Zay it's Jones. It's I mean, I like Zay Jones, but like, why? Why do you need that. more? You like him for like one year for three million. You like him improve it, not like a real contract. That's the idea, yeah. big fella. These front offices, everybody gets fired but them, and they keep making the same stupid. Desperate decisions. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's just- I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's just, uh, you know, I know all of our Titans fans are getting a little anxious that we aren't making a lot of moves, but, you know, we're the smart spenders, so be patient. There, There's still a lot of talent out there and a lot of deals to be had, and, you know, we're, we're, we're really good at drafting. So I think that's something to kind of have everybody uh, chill think- out about. We're hitting that good team balance of being shrewd and conservative at the same time, right, Landon? Like, obviously, in the aggregate, we've been a good team for a while. Um, yes, we've acknowledged defeat today by dumping Julio Jones. And whenever that pick comes up in the second round, we're the three of us are going to be eating poop. We're going to be pissed. But it's better to be a sunk cost than just hanging on to a guy where we can be shrewd and make something else happen with $11 million, right? Let's hope. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to, po- to point out that the guys we lost this offseason have been because they were overpaid, old, injured, or some combination. Saffold was older, overpaid, hurt. Julio, all three. Jenkins, old, not that good. Lamb, wasn't worth it. I mean, we... These guys, I mean, yeah, Jenkins played starter snaps, but was there really a noticeable drop-off when Buster Screen was playing? I don't think so. Yeah, we don't have anyone behind Edger Mound now that Julio's gone, but Julio's just a name now. I mean, he, he didn't even play for us last year, really. Like, I would rather pay a guy, pay a guy that gets four hundred million that gets four million. He gets five hundred yards, but if he's there every single snap, if he's playing Every game, that's better than paying Julio a lot because guess what? Julio doesn't have that game-breaking ability anymore. We lost a left guard that was always hurt and whose pass protection is honestly atrocious because he has nerve damage in his shoulder. I hope Saffold rejuvenates his career in Buffalo until we play them in the playoffs and Jeffrey Simmons (laughs) beats him like a drum. Lamb never played. He was supposed to be a potential right tackle and Questenberry beat him out. Questenberry, we didn't tender. We might... I guess there's the option that we bring him back just to have a guy that, in no, worst case, he no. starts week one at right tackle just because he's a guy. But, I mean, Questenberry gave up the most sacks in the NFL. Jenkins, he's all right, but, I mean, it's not a game changer. Other teams, they lose players in free agency. Those are good players that they got priced out of. Or, like, they're the Saints or Eagles a couple years ago where they literally don't have the money and they have to let them go. Like the Patriots. 
The Patriots lost J.C. Jackson because they paid Nelson Aguilar and Johnny Smith a bunch of money. J.C. Jackson is a top five corner. We didn't lose anybody. The core Last year, the core of our team, a team that is still a contender, barring health, we haven't really lost anyone vital to that success. We re-signed Ben Jones, our most steady offensive lineman. We re-signed Harold Landry, the last piece of the puzzle for one of the five best pass rushes of the NFL. We're going to find some veterans that can play. We're going to, I hope we actually, I hope we have a rookie draft class where either everyone but one player, like 2020 with Holden, doesn't suck, or it's not like 2021 where everyone gets hurt. The framework is there. The vision is there. It's just, can we not have an historically bad injury season? And can we just fill up, round out those holes? Because right now, the defense is championship caliber. The offense, we need a few more weapons and we need to see what Tannehill's got, but the offense can be good enough. So I'm not worried. It's not. It's fun watching these other teams buy all these awesome free agents and these great players. But I mean, end of the day, I mean, at least we're at the point where it's like, we have those good players. We don't have to buy these players. They're just already there. Now, I know this episode has been by orders of magnitude my most negative most hateful podcast so i want to end on a on a nice note the chargers though at times can be a bit annoying how much the media and people fawn all over them for a team that has done nothing they've had a spectacular offseason so far they trade a second rounder and a sixth rounder for cleo mack now cleo mack is not that best edge rusher in the league defensive player of the year caliber player He's still really good. Is he expensive? Yeah, but they can afford him because Justin Herbert's on a rookie deal. They signed two great defensive tackles in Austin Johnson and Sebastian Joseph Day. Their run defense is the reason they missed the playoffs. Rex Burkhead ran for 150 yards on them. Sebastian Joseph Day, an elite, elite run stuffer. Austin Johnson, a great nose tackle. And Mike Williams, three years, 60 million, 20 a year. It's pretty gross, but I mean, if you can be more consistent, if you look at how he started and ended the year, he was spectacular. He was amazing. And Keenan Allen has slowed down. Mike Williams can be that guy. And then probably the one of my favorite heists of free agency, they got J.C. Jackson for 16 a year. I mean, this is, this is the best ball hawk in the NFL. This is a guy that's, and unlike Trevon Diggs, he's, a, he's really good in man coverage. He's not hit or miss. He produces turnovers. They already have Asante Samuel inside. They have an elite pass rush. This is what you want. You want a defense that is steady versus a run so teams can't just run on you all day. And you want a defense that can generate big plays and turnovers because you have an elite offense. And they kept their first round pick. They have the 17th overall pick in this draft. And yeah, the top of the tier talent isn't that amazing, but the depth is so good. I mean, there's so many guys. They can draft... Another defensive lineman. They can draft a receiver. They can draft a corner. They. The more I look at it, the more I agree with the national consensus that, yes, even though the Chargers are cursed and they always seem to fall flat, they are they are that top-tier contender, the team that everyone should be on watch for. And they've just they've done a really good job of building around a franchise quarterback, and they've just bounced out really well. They did everything right. They signed Corey Lindsley, a great center. They drafted Rashawn Slater, knocked it out of the park. They're gonna. They signed a depth offensive guard that might start. They're gonna probably draft a guy. They've got him weapons. 
they're building the defense at the right spots. I mean, it's just the Chargers have been a joke generally for why I followed football, even though they were awesome at the beginning of my lifespan. So the AFC is just a bloodbath and the Chargers have jumped into that mix. And it's just going to be really fun because I'm, I mean, you look at all these teams, it's like 10 of these teams, if things break right or they get this one guy, it's like, yeah, they, they could be a conference championship, maybe a Super Bowl appearance type team. Just having all that depth and just such parity, even though it's only on paper, is just so exciting. Because you look at the NFC, it's like, hey, there's these three or four teams at the top there. Everyone's kind of whatever. AFC, it's like, you don't know what's going on. I mean, the Chiefs are still that guy, are still the team to beat. But I mean, they are no longer that guy where it's like, man, how are they going to beat the Chiefs? Like what the Bengals. When and I agree with everything you've said. But, big fella, you can back me on this. I'm 41 years old. The Chargers are that guy from your hometown. He just never put it together for like 30 years of his life. Then he makes the good decisions for like two years. And you're rooting for him. Believe me, you're rooting for him. And there's a possibility that he can. But I want to see... I want to see it, right? Like, it's the reverse of the benefit of the doubt. Landon lays it out perfectly. The way a 19-year-old would with analytics. They've made really good decisions, but they have found a way, big fella, for 30 years to blow it, even with Herbert and with Rivers and with all these great players. There's something weird, like, I think it's like the Bengals, who obviously broke through, where you just feel like their day-to-day and their culture is not right. And I think it starts with ownership. Uh, Yeah, sure, I'd rather see them winning than other teams that have been winning the AFC, but... I don't know. I agree with every single thing Landon said, but you know what? I, I'm going to need more time. I'm going to I'm going to need to see an actual January run from them before I think they've kind of shook the ghost, right, Big Fell? I would agree, especially in that in that division. I mean, that division is continuously going to be so difficult. But yeah, no, I need to see it too. Uh, I mean, like you, like you both said, they've made smart decisions. They've done the right things, and they're using the court. The, they're using a first round, a first round quarterback contract. How you should, you know, until they can beat Kansas City twice, and they can beat the Broncos. And I mean, they had a win and end scenario against the Raiders, and they couldn't get it done. Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of right there with you. I need to see it, just like Cleveland. I need to. I need to see them win, you know. I'm not 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 ever going to let them let their paper championship title ever do anything. When we were there in person, <laughs> you would think that they were hanging banners. Guys, I think we've all had enough. It's been amazing. We've been away a while and now you guys have got a, about an hour and 20 minute podcast uh to digest. So, we'll be back with you soon. You know how much the three of us love the NFL draft, so we'll be coming at you with uh, with some mock drafts and some uh, some 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 prospect writing. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's just been great to be back together for Landon, for Big Fella, Tennessee Titans stock. Find us, share us, subscribe to us, and until next time, guys, tighten up, tighten, tighten up. up. <laughs>